Could you just join me in prayer this morning and uh, let's just let's ask God to do a work in our hearts. Father, thank you so much for today. This is your day. You made it. And so, Father, we will rejoice and be glad. You've given us breath. You've given us life. And, Father, those of us in this room that know you as our Savior, as our Lord, as our King, thank you. Thank you for the life you've given us that we don't deserve in the least, but in your grace you gave it to us. And so, Father, we rejoice in that. Help me today to be able to communicate effectively, concisely, clearly. But God, most importantly, would you help me to make sure I communicate your word? And Father, would hearts and minds be open to the reality of who you are? And would you make us different people today because of what we heard in your precious name? Amen. All right. Well, here's what we've been doing. If uh, you're new here, uh, we got Bibles. Uh, you don't have an assistant this week. <clears throat> this is Greg Burkhart, ladies and gentlemen, the hugger out in the lobby. <clears throat> and uh, anyways, if you need a Bible, he'll grab you. Just raise your hand. We'll get you a Bible. But we're going through the book of 1 Corinthians. And in the book of 1 Corinthians, what we've been looking at specifically over the last few weeks is we've been talking about this idea of what does it mean to grow up? We were challenged that way, kind of, there was a transition in the text in which Tim, if you remember Tim and Courtney shared, but the last thing he talked about was this idea of the need for all of us in here, and the thing that God is desiring to do in our life is to grow us up. And so last week I talked about just this concept in which Paul talked about that one way in which we mature in our faith in Jesus Christ is we take on this attitude of a servant, we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, so in other words, we don't grow up actually that to grow up in Christ actually means to grow down. We become humble servants. And we start to understand also as we grow up that we're not just humble servants of anybody, we're humble servants of the king. That really what this life is about is that we play our part in what God's called us to do. And we had that verse that he talked about in 1 Corinthians 3, 8, this idea that Apollos, or I planted, Apollos watered, but God caused the growth. It's God who does the work. And I think one of the difficult aspects of that as I thought through this is sometimes when I, whenever I deal with parents is that they're faithful parents, they do all the right things inside of their kids' lives, and at the end of it, sometimes the heartbreak of that reality is then they watch their kid walk away. Why? Because they were bad parents? No. Because ultimately the only one that changes the heart of the person is God. And we've got to come to that conclusion because God is not asking us to do results. He's asking us to be faithful. We leave all all the results up to him. And so that's what Paul's been talking about is that my job is to take what he's given me to be faithful and to trust him with the results. Now, I I think what can happen then is is that we start to then go, well, if God has the results, then really who cares how I live? then I might as well just kind of bide my time. I've got my get out of hell card that I kind of can show God at the very end where I just kind of showed up and say, see, I did this whole faith thing. But Paul's going to tell us something here that is so important. And what he's going to do to show us that our life matters is he's going to usher us from where we are right now to the day that we stand before Jesus Christ. And if you look down in your Bibles, he talks about this. The thing that he's going to talk about is verse 13, is that actually, look at this, 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 13, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. Paul says we won't say that statement about did my life matter when we're standing in front of God. See in this room, and this is where it kind of gets heavy, is that every single one of us, the Bible says, will stand before God at the end of our lives. Every one of us. And how we lived our life will matter. Now, we're going to talk about faith and how that plays a part in it, but I want everybody to get this. Is that everybody in this room could be telling you, you're, oh, you're doing great, you're doing wonderful, this kind of thing, but really only, the only person that matters is God. Are you living your life for people, for yourself, Because when we stand in front of him one day, the only thing that is going to matter is did we live our life for him? 
And so Paul wants them to get this, that their life does matter, that how they live their life has, has, has consequences to it. In fact, the way that he talks about it, go back up to chapter 3, verse 8 with me. He talks about this. In chapter 3, verse 8, he says, Look, he who plants and he who waters are one, meaning he and Apollos and are working together to, call, to, to join God in what he's doing. But look at this. Each will receive his wages according to his labor. See, your life does matter. You are going to face God, and in some way, he says, and we're going to talk about though, that those specifically that are in Jesus Christ, that are followers of Jesus Christ, we're going to face a day in which ultimately, he said, you are going to, and that word is actually probably better translated rewards, we are going to receive the rewards for the labor, the way in which we got in, and, and hard, the hard work in which we carried out. He's like, it's going to pay off. It's worth it. See, there's a reason Christians have done crazy things throughout time because we know that at the end of our life when we're standing in front of God, it's worth it. We won't regret it. Now with this, I think one of the hard parts about kind of understanding what this is is that part of growing up, you come to the conclusion and the understanding, I think, the older you get, you've only got one life. That's it. I think when, and I'm only in my early 40s, but back when I was in my late teens, early 20s, and I don't know how many of you in here are in that particular position, you think, man, I've got this long life, I've got all this time in which to live it, and then all of a sudden when you sit down to talk with somebody in their 70s or 80s or 90s, they say this one thing to you, I feel like my life went by like a flash. And oftentimes when you talk to those that are older, they'll talk a lot about the regrets and how they lived their life, the stuff that really matters at the end, the stuff that kind of doesn't matter, they regret doing. And I think what Paul's trying to show us here in this particular text is that you have only one life to invest for the king. Everything about our lives is an investment, and he'll talk about this over and over throughout the scriptures, that you are right now with your life, you're either investing into things that matter, or you're investing into things that don't matter. And all the things that don't matter, one day when you're standing before him, there's going to be this regret in which I live my life and stuff that, man, at the end of it, who really cares? But there's this other side of it, though, when I live my life for God, and I live my life in the way he's called me to, I promise you, Anything you do that is living your life in such a way that Jesus Christ is honored with how you live, no matter what you've given up, no matter what you take on, I promise you, you won't regret it. You will not regret it that day. You might sometimes regret it now, but I promise you, you will never regret it. Now, let me just be clear on some of this stuff so we understand this. Go with me to 1 John 4. Let me kind of talk about what's going to be happening at the end before we get into our text. But 1 John 4. <clears throat> and look at verse 17. 1 John 4, look at verse 17. He says this. I love the sound of turning pages. My God. Sorry, it's a pastor moment. By this is love perfected with us. Watch this. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because he, as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now this is key. There are some of you in this room that have never come by faith to know Jesus Christ. Now let me be crystal clear. You should be very afraid. Very afraid. See, the outcome of standing before God one day and not knowing Jesus Christ, coming to him, placing our faith in him, trusting alone in his work on the cross, his work in the tomb, his work right now, believing fully in who he is, when you stand in front of God one day, you will be standing there, you will be the king with no clothes, and at the end of it then, the only outcome the Bible talks about, especially when you get to like Revelation 20, if your name is not found written in the book of life, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you will be cast into the lake of fire. 
Why? Because you will be judged according to your works, and in comparison to a holy God, you'll be found wanting. And those that offend a holy and eternal God by sinning against him, the outcome will be that you will face an eternal punishment. Now, I know in our culture, we're like, well, I don't like that. Well, you know what? God kind of doesn't care what you like and don't like. That's the way it's going to be. Now, with this, that's a heavy, heavy reality. And so I would say to you, those of you that don't know Jesus Christ, today's the day. Man, why put it off? Why not place your faith in Jesus Christ today so that you can be what John talks about? The reality is, is that when I come to know him, I start to understand that there's this God of the universe that loves and adores me. And what starts to happen then inside of me is he says, perfect love begins to cast out fear. And the more that I know this God, then I don't regret that day. I long for that day. Why? Because my life is a little dot and eternity is eternity. That's good news. You today can know Jesus Christ and you can know the God of the universe. So afterwards, if you want to talk, I'd love to talk to you. Now the rest of you in this room, it's still good news. See, the reality of also those of us that know Jesus Christ is, is we too will face a judgment. Now a lot of times when we think judgment, we think, oh, But the judgment to which we are going to receive, we will receive rewards. Now, I dig that. I'm a reward-type guy. I was an athlete. Second place is just the last person to come in before the first guy. I love the idea of reward. And Jesus promised that when I come, what's coming with me is coming with me, this re- idea of reward. But the reality is, like out of 2 Corinthians 5.10, out of 1 Peter 4.17 and 18, all these different texts talk about this idea that there will be judgment of my works. In other words, we will, with God, stand before him and he will evaluate how we lived our lives. Now, I don't think it's going to be like we sometimes think where you're going to be in room A and I'll be in room B and you'll be in room C and an interrogator will come in and go, so tell me about your life. What is your name? I mean, it's not going to be awkward that way. Never forget, your dad, the God of the universe, is a good dad. But there's going to be an evaluation of our life. And the good part about that is, is that when Jesus Christ comes, it talks about it in Revelation 22, he is going to come, he says, with rewards. He's going to come with him with these amazing rewards that he has for us. And that's why, like the writer of Hebrews in 11.6 says, that those who come to him by faith, they must believe that he exists, but also they must believe that he rewards those who seek him. See, part of faith and the understanding of it, and if you want to live the life that God's called you to, if you want to grow up into that, you need to understand that rewards are important. Because I think a lot of times what happens inside the church is we say, oh, who cares? We just throw them back at the feet of God. Listen to me. If rewards didn't matter, why is the New Testament full of them? Just because God was bored, so he thought he'd write in, I'll say reward just because I'm bored. That rhymes. That preaches. No. Look back at 1 Corinthians 2.9, since we're in there. 1 Corinthians 2.9. Paul's quoting this and says, But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, no heart of mine imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. This week I tried to sit down and imagine what the rewards of God are going to be like until I came to this text and it says, Todd, you can't even imagine how amazing they're going to be. Isn't that awesome? It is amazing to think that no matter how good I think it's going to be to receive rewards from the king of the universe, my little mind can't even begin to imagine what it's going to be like one day when he comes to me with these rewards that have have not been earned by me, but what God has done through me. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And I look at these rewards and go, it's going to blow our mind. Not only that, 
But that's why Jesus said to people, listen, don't store up treasures on earth where moth will eat and rust will destroy, where thieves will steal. Why in the world would you make an investment like that into this world when instead store up your treasures in heaven where nothing can ever take them away from you? See, that gets into how we live our life. Why do we spend so much of our time on the things of this world that are going to melt away? Why do we spend our money on so much of the things of the world that are going to melt away? The idea that God's talking about in this context is take your life and pour it into what I have for you because when you stand in front of me one day, you won't regret it. In fact, I think it's a father going, go for it. Just go for it. See, I think we think God is so dour and sour and somehow this idea is they're not going to be able to do it anyways. Then why did he give us his Holy Spirit, his word, his Bible, even himself and say, go, here I am, I've given you everything you need, now go for it. Just go for it. I want you to succeed. I want you to have these rewards. See, your view of God also matters in this, that he wants to reward us. The other thing I think sometimes we think about is, is this idea that somehow we don't, we're not supposed to pursue greatness. Did you know that God, that Jesus never chastised them for pursuing greatness? He chastised them for pursuing greatness in this world at the expense of greatness later. See, I think sometimes we think, oh, I'm just going to be this one in which I'm just going to not be great here. And I would agree with that. Jesus said, anything you give up in this life, you will be paid back not only a hundredfold, but you'll be paid back with eternal life. And the idea that he's trying to get across to us is that it's a bad investment to invest in this world and the things that don't matter. Invest in what matters is what he's saying. Make your life about it. I sat down, I was reading through all the different kinds of rewards that we're going to get one day. We're going to get crowns of victory, crowns of righteousness, crowns of life, crowns of glory, crowns of, and here's the one that I love, people. People are going to be a crown for eternity. I'll just read this to you. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 just says, After all, what gives us hope and joy? What will be our proud reward and crown when we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns? It is you. Yes, you are our pride and joy. See, any work that I do in the kingdom, one day I'll be walking by people, and I won't even know it sometimes. This year, man, I, I had one of the coolest experiences. I was speaking at something this, this, this year, and I kept staring at this, this dad and, and daughter that well, I was like, man, they look familiar. And I couldn't place where I'd seen them before. And this girl walks up to me, and she goes, you don't remember me, do you? Oh, you're right, I don't remember you. And the dad goes, yeah, we didn't think you did. I was speaking at something in the Midwest about three or four years before that. This particular man's wife had just left him. The daughter had gone off the deep end, so they thought they would just come to this particular youth conference. And, you know, I don't know how many kids were there and why I remember these particular ones. But at that particular conference, in what I spoke at, she came and embraced Jesus Christ for the first time. The dad's heart was healed in a lot of ways from his wife leaving him. And they just looked at me, and they said in this one statement, they just grabbed me and held me and said, thank you. Now that's getting to see the reward of your work on this side. Let me tell you something. If my heart bubbled up on this side, can you imagine what it's going to be like on the other side? All these people that are just this byproduct of pouring our lives into. Let me tell you something. You can pour your life into a new house. You can pour your life into boats and cars and things and all this other stuff. Those things will burn, but people will be forever. Paul said, so we just poured our life into people. Why? Because he said, you're my crown one day. People always wondered, why did Paul do the radical things he did? Because he got this. He wrapped his mind around it. God wants to reward us. He's given us what we need. And is it any wonder why, when you look back at 1 Corinthians 2.16, that if this is so serious, and even the way Paul talks about it, though, he's going to tell us later that we can actually lose reward, we need the mind of Christ. I need to walk with him and know him and understand how I'm supposed to live my life because every aspect of my life matters to God. So let me just give you some things that I've kind of gleaned out of 310 through, through, through 17 
And let me just kind of throw them at you a little bit on how is it, if I'm going to be this one that understands growing up, that understands what it means to have one life to invest for the king, what are some things that I need to understand that I think Paul teaches us out of this particular text? Now just look down at 310 with me, and let me just kind of read through it a little bit, and I'll just kind of make some, some statements. Look at the first one. Paul said, I did what I did according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Look at verse 11. And no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He said, the thing that I had to understand in order to wrap my mind around what I'm supposed to do is I need to understand grace. Not just past grace. See, we talk a lot about past grace. We talk about this idea in which I've been saved and God has totally wiped away every sin. He has made me one of his own. And so when we think about past grace, we think it's great. But did you, do you understand that today you get present grace? In fact, the way the Bible talks about it is you are being given everything that you need today to be able to accomplish what you need today. That's grace. But Paul also understood not just that God gives me everything that I need today, but he understands we have future grace. See, God for eternity is never going to stop lavishing his grace on us, ever. And what that did for Paul, keep your finger in 1 Corinthians 3, but go to 1 Corinthians 15. This is what compelled him. That's why he wrote what he wrote in verse 10. He said, but by the, look at, there's our word, grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, look what happened. I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. See, oftentimes people wonder, oh, why don't I live more for Christ? I hear that all the time, and I would say this. If you really want to live your life for Christ, you need to understand grace. Know it, love it, understand it. And I promise you, the more you understand God's past grace, the more you understand his present grace, the more you understand his future grace, it will compel you to work for Jesus like you have never imagined. It doesn't come from works. It doesn't come from all these other things. It comes from grace. I used to think the way in which I compel people long-term is that I need to bring conviction and I need to bring this and there's a part for conviction, there's a part for guilt. But if I want to compel you long-term, if I want to add to the fuel to your fire to actually compel you to work hard, the answer is grace. Understanding it, loving it, embracing it. But I think the other part that he talks about there is that everything he built into that, look at verse 11, he built in Christ everything he did. He said, man, I I didn't put in the cheap stuff. In fact, the way that he talked about it is is that when I came into Corinth this particular time, I built this foundation and I understood that Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone, I put that one in. They need to understand there is nothing outside of Jesus Christ and I built the entire foundation around it so it just bleeds with Jesus. When I came amongst you, that's what I did. Remember he said, when I was with you, I preached Christ and him crucified. That's what I wanted you to get. This brings in the second thing. If you really want to be this person that lives for Christ, you actually have to know Christ. See, there's a lot of you in this room that knew Christ a while ago. You came to Christ, you experienced Christ, you, you maybe were in college and it was the first time you'd ever heard of him. And man, don't you remember that? You came to know him, you were doing these radical things for Jesus. And then we kind of get married and have kids and it's not getting married and have kids that cause a problem. That's what I'm saying. But slowly we kind of lose that relationship with Jesus. And after a while, we're not building into our lives Christ. We build into lives our job. We build into our lives all kinds of things. And what he said is, is no, what I did was, is I knew Christ so that I could build Christ into my life. That's why 2.16, we need the mind of Christ. The other thing that's we talked about down in verse 10 He says, let each one take care how he builds on it. 
This week, man, I was so blown away that I am every day either building in good things or bad things into the people that I experience. And we're doing it all day long, aren't we? And it hit me in how I parent my kids personally. Like with my particular kids, I watch them and they're starting to do the things that my wife and I do. I'm starting to hear out of my little daughter the phrases of my wife. The other day she was sitting there and, and she, she does something and she drops it. And my wife always says, oh, shoot. You thought I was going to say something else. I didn't. <laughs> and my daughter looks at me and she drops it and she goes, oh, shoot. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, they're always listening. Every moment of every day, you're either building good stuff or bad stuff. When you go to work, you're either building good stuff or you're building bad stuff. When I parent, when I live, when I play, when I recreate, when I do whatever it is, his point is that you need to understand, and this is why he's going to tell us here in this next point, be careful. And it's so hard to be careful in this life because it is so fast. I don't know how you feel, but a lot of times, man, I just feel like it's like, I'm ready to move to like northern Canada. I'm going to be up there with the Inuit fishing, killing whales, sitting around pondering life. And not only that, but we live in one of the fastest fastest paced places on the earth called Los Angeles. It never slows down. And Paul's point is, is you need to be careful because here's the thing. There's no do-overs, is there? Isn't that that thing where you just imagine, oh, if I could just go back in time and do that thing over? But you can't. You get one shot every single day. And so with it, Paul's like, be careful. Go with me to Ephesians. Let me tell you what I'm talking about, this idea of be careful. Look at Ephesians 5. He talks about this a little bit in verse 15. He says this. It's the same exact word. Look carefully then how you walk. Why, Paul? Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And here's the will of the Lord. Don't get drunk on wine that leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. The reason that you need a daily, ongoing, moment-by-moment relationship with Jesus Christ is because we live in the days that are evil. And don't you ever just feel like in some ways within this world in which we live, there's just this potential for something to fall apart all the time? And this is what Paul's saying. Be careful. Make sure that you have the Spirit. Make sure you're spending time with God, examining life, begging God, God, I need your mind on these things because everything that I'm doing matters, God. Would you please help me? Help me to understand how to live my life because, God, I want at the very end to get the rewards you have for me, but it's so hard in this life. Help me. But not only that, look down in verse 12. He says, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, in other words, he says, be careful of the stuff you build in. So the other night, I took my kids to Chuck E. Cheese. Chuck E. Cheese. If you've never been to Chuck E. Cheese before, highly encourage it. But it was my youngest daughter's. It was kind of we were celebrating her one year with us since we had adopted her. So we went to Chuck E. Cheese. And if you've never been to Chuck E. Cheese, what you do is you show up there and they take a lot of your money. You eat bad pizza. And you give these little coins to kids called tokens and they go play games. So my son, I love him so much. He grabs his coins and he runs off to go play games. And he's playing games and tickets are flying out of there. And he'll come back and show me some tickets, you know, and I'll be like... 
many coins you got left, boy? And then, but then it's right, he's going like crazy. But what he would do is, is he would collect about 10 tickets and then he would go up and get all the cheap stuff. He'd get 10 tickets, get the cheap stuff. Get 10 tickets, get the cheap stuff. Get 10 tickets, get the cheap stuff. And so when we got done, he had pockets full of the cheap stuff. Now here's the key. Was it wrong that he got the cheap stuff? No. But you know this, that cheap stuff doesn't matter for a hill of beans. And I feel like in our lives as we walk with Jesus, we are so living for the cheap stuff that when God is talking about here is, is don't live for the cheap stuff. Build into this stuff the good stuff. All throughout the Bible, the Bible says don't give God your second best, but don't we do it all the time? We kind of give God the leftovers, and this is what he's talking about. Is that sure, this is wood, hay, and stubble, and yeah, we can kind of do some stuff with it, but he wants to help us understand that we're not just building anything. Look at verse 16, when he talks about this in chapter 3. You're not just building anything. He says, don't you know that you are God's temple and the Spirit dwells in you? You're not just building anything. You're building the temple. I mean, can you imagine if us in this room were in charge of building the White House back in the day and you showed up with some plastic, you know, and we're kind of some duct tape and we're putting it all together. And at the end of it, right, there's wood and duct tape and there's bailing wire and there's all this stuff. And we stand back and we go, President, there's your house. But I feel like even in our own lives, we build in these things that don't matter. See, it doesn't matter the house you build. It doesn't matter the car you drive. It doesn't matter all these things on one level. It matters on what you want at the end. So you can get it now. You can have it now. But Paul's point is, is when you build with the cheap stuff, look what happens down in verse 14. He says, look, if the work that anyone has built on foundation survives, look at this. Uh Uh-oh, he'll receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned up on this day when the fire comes through, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. See, at some point, you're going to be judged for how we live our life, how we spend our money, how we spend our time, how we did things for Jesus Christ in this life. And I'm starting to get to this point in my life and it gets closer and closer to the day that I'm going to stand in front of him, I'm done with the cheap stuff. I'm done with the leftovers given to God. A lot of times then some of you would say, well, then what I need to do, Todd, is I need to become a pastor just like you. You don't want to do that. Go with me to Colossians. Let me just show you, especially just one thing about work. Colossians. Look at verse 3. Chapter 3, I mean. Colossians 3. He's talking about slaves specifically, and probably some of you feel like slaves at your job. But look at this. Whatever you do, 23, you should have read my mind. What's your problem? You're a woman. You should know these things. Husbands were asking their wives, read his mind. What did he say? 23. Thank you very much. Verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Did you know when you go to work, how you work matters in the rewards you receive one day? Ever thought about that? See, most of you go because you're like, oh, time to make the donuts, right? I mean, that's just your life. At the end of it, though, how you work, how you carry out your work in integrity, how you work hard, not when your boss is watching. Actually, the Bible says one day there will be reward for that. So don't become a pastor. You'll regret it. Instead, stay in what you do. Live in it, understanding that as I work in such a way as for the Lord, there's a reward to it. But I think here's the last one that I want to say. Verse 13. I want to come back to where I started. Chapter 3, verse 13. Each one's work will become manifest. 
For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test what sort of work each one has done. It's this idea that there's coming a day where there's no more hiding things or playing games. And as we stand before him, it says the fire of what is his judgment in regards to his good judgment as our Father is going to come down upon those works. And he says, what's left over? That'll be your reward. Now, I think what he's talking about here is best answered in chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Paul, that's why he said, This is how one should regard us as servants of the mysteries and the stewards of Christ, or the mysteries of God. Why? Because he says, it's Moreover, it's required of stewards to be found trustworthy or faithful. But watch this. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, don't pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Watch this, though. Then each one will receive his, actually that word is praise from God. Here's why I love this. One of my huge struggles as a person is I'm a people, I'm a people pleaser. I think a lot of times pastors become that because we love people, but I'm a people pleaser also because as a former athlete, I love to hear people cheer. I love to hear people say, well done, nice sermon, way to go, changed my life, all these different things. And in the end of it, I've started to realize what Paul did. Not only what I think about how I did today preaching or how you thought about how I did today preaching, the only one that matters is God. That's it. He's my only audience. See, I think sometimes we trust ourselves a little too much on how we're doing in our lives. We, we somehow think, oh, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Or we look at others and others, they're, oftentimes they lie to us. Oh, no, you're doing good. Or then we sometimes have the critics that tear us down all the time. And what Paul's saying is, and this is what I love about it, you can stop trying to please people because you only have an audience of one. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, you have an audience of one. When you get in your car, you have an audience of one. When you get to work, you have an audience of one. When you come home after work, you have an audience of one. When you're sitting around doing whatever you do at night, you have an audience of one. When you go to bed tomorrow night, you have an audience of one. The only thing that counts, the cheap applause of man, the way to go in this life, the hallelujahs, the whatever you want to say in this life, the only thing that matters is that day when God looks at us and says, well done, good and faithful servant. What will that day be like? See, on one level, what it's going to be, and I don't think it's just me standing there in front of God. I think all of us as Cornerstone will be standing there in front of God, looking at the church in which we have joined him in building, not the building, but Cornerstone, us. And the fire of God will go through it, and there'll be this weird way in which finally the smoke will clear, because I I hate to tell you this, but there's probably going to be a lot of wood, hay, and stubble in there, because I know my own life, and if I know my own life, I know your life. I think we're going (laughs) to... And on one moment, there's going to be intense shame. You know, all that stuff you're so proud of, you're going to be sitting there going, ugh. That stuff that we got all the accolades for, the stuff we thought was so great. And we're going to sit there for this time, I think, just absolutely, possibly, one of the lowest moments of our existence as we stare at it. But the Bible also says at that moment that in our shame, Jesus Christ will come and he'll cover our shame. And he'll look at what's left and he'll say, look at it. Look at the works. Look at the rewards you have. And at that point, all the stupid things we found significance in, won't they just fade? God looking at us going, this is it. This is what I intended. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now enter in with all the rewards that I have for you into eternity where you will enjoy me forever. I mean, seriously, imagine that day we're there and maybe Dan Lovejoy will be standing next to each other and all of a sudden Dan will look out to me and be like, as we enter into this new channel, will be like, <laughs> knuckles, boom, right? And we just enter in. And, and I've always talked about this. Just imagine for a second that first 
fresh breath of air in the new earth. All this little piddly stuff won't matter, will it? At that moment, we'll realize all that matters is Christ. Now, if you're like me, though, I've had a lot of introspection, and I've looked back on my life over the last few years, and I've realized there's a lot of stuff I regret. There's a lot of stuff that I know when the fire of Jesus hits it, it's going to go boof. And you all are going to be standing there going, seriously, loser? And I'm going to say, look at yours. But it's just this thing in which, though, I get it. But listen to me. This is how incredible God is. Remember last week or two weeks ago when Tim and Courtney shared about their failure? God even redeems failure as long as we're honest. The reason it was so powerful is because they shared with you their failure and then God took their failure that was so just that stuff and he went, and he built us up, didn't he? See, even your failure has within it the capacity of God to be redeemed to build people up. So here's how I want to finish. I'm going to bring up a guy that is about 25 years older than me. So he's really old. (laughs) But I want to bring up Rick Utley. If you don't know Rick, he's probably one of the more impactful men in my life. He's one of the guys in my life that's never afraid to come up and call me junior and to speak truth into my life. But I think what's best is, is I'm only in my early 40s. I'd like to just have, as we finish today, a guy that has lived life a little bit longer than me talk about this idea of what it means to be faithful. But let me finish one word. I love you guys a lot. Let's not build the bad stuff into Cornerstone. Let's go for it. Amen? All right. Thank you, Todd. That was a a brief personal intro, so you know who's talking to you. Uh, uh, My name's Rick Utley. I'm married to Sherry. Been married uh, almost 48 years. Uh, We have uh, two children. Uh, My daughter's uh, here this morning, and... uh, I have a son that lives out in Santa Clarita. Uh, We have six grandchildren. Uh, The youngest is uh, almost 16, uh, and about six foot, we measured him yesterday at six foot two. So uh, his other grandfather is six foot 11. Yeah, so anyway, a lot of height. The reason Todd called me up here is because I am 65 years of age, um, and uh, I've seen a lot of life. I've raised two kids. I I'm a practicing grandfather, and, and that's important to me. It's important to Sherry as, as a grandmother. Uh, it's, it's not the easiest thing in the world um, and uh, has its difficulties, but uh, the, uh, I think the thing that's important uh, for you to hear from me is that you know both of my children are Christians. Uh, my daughter's a, a Christian. My son's a Christian. Uh, My daughter is here from uh, Arkansas, she's back for a time, and my son lives out in Santa Clarita, has started a church out there, he's not a pastor, he's a leader in that church. But the thing that I want you to hear from me is that, you know, I can say that both of my kids are are Christians, and that I've started a a strong legacy, and this is something that Sherry and I wanted to do when we first got married, We, we, we got married young, but we knew we wanted to start a new legacy, and uh and that obviously started with our children. We wasn't sure what that legacy was going to be about until we got to be about 28 years of age. My background, by the way, is Jehovah's Witness. And uh, Sherry came out of a Methodist church. But it was then that we found the Lord. And then we figured out what this legacy was supposed to be all about. And getting back to our kids and teaching them about the Lord Jesus Christ and having them become Christians... The real blessing is seeing our grandchildren learn from our children about Jesus Christ, the manifestation of their faith. You know, my daughter shared with me uh, uh, last night that she had received a text from one of the nurses that she had worked with down in, in Arkansas in the hospital there. And one of the more edgier uh, nurses that had more colorful con- uh, conversation and words uh, that she used, she says, I miss your faith. You know what that tells me? My daughter 
He's not afraid to share for faith. My son, uh, I got a call from uh, uh, a guy out of my son's church uh, two days ago. It was on Friday. And uh, we had uh, Scott Mayo come and speak at our men's breakfast here at Cornerstone. And uh, he, uh, he called me and uh, he was looking for Scott's phone number because he wants to have Scott come and speak at the Crossroads uh, men's breakfast out there in Santa Clarita. And he said, your son is one of my mentors. That's meaningful. That's blessing. That's true blessing. You know, the Utley family is not perfect. And I'm not up here to try to convince you that, that we are. But what I am here to tell you is that ministry is so important. Consistency of ministry. It was about three years ago that my mom, uh, who recently passed away this, this year, um, you know, it's a long story, and I don't have time to go through the whole thing, but we ended up at the Simi Hills uh, Assisted Living Home up uh, across the street from Wood Ranch below the Reagan Library. My mom was there for four months, couldn't handle being alone, and we had to move her into another facility. But while we were there, we found out that there was a group of women meeting every Sunday morning. In fact, there's a meeting right now. And uh, they were one of the, the 94-year-old uh, this is an older group. This is an old man speaking to an older group. Uh, you know, she plays the piano, but she, she's a go-getter. I mean, she, she's a rainmaker. She makes things happen. And she got this group together, and, and, and she would play songs, and they would sing. That was their, their church service. And I said, and we were there, Sherry and I were there, and we were talking to uh, the guy who runs and manages the place. And I said, would they like somebody to come and speak to them on Sunday morning? I got to tell you, folks, in no no cotton picking way do I ever think that I'm going to be teaching older people, 80, 80 and up. But it's an opportunity, and the Lord spoke to me, and Sherry looks at me and goes, "Really? Are you kidding me?" It's been, it was three years ago, and it's been a really special ministry. And I want to tell you, and I want to use them as an example uh, right now. As those people are meeting this morning, and it's, it's probably five women. We've buried two of their husbands in the last couple of years. That these women, three of them are teachers. They're dear ladies, and I love teaching them. I can remember, oh, it probably was uh, earlier this year when the 94-year-old slammed her fist down on the piano, and I was teaching through John, and she says, I've never known who John the Baptist was. Why didn't I know? This is a woman who had been in church longer than I've been alive. The reason I bring them up is because these, they're, they're, they're intelligent people. They've been in church most of their lives, but it's been cultural to them. You understand what I mean by that? Their mom and dad went to church, so they went to church, and they did the things of church. But there was no ministry there was no involvement. I'm teaching them things out of 1 Corinthians, by the way, right now. The very things that you're hearing Todd tell you in a, more, a lot more eloquent way, by the way. Um, but they're learning. But the one thing I see in their eyes, I see, I see sorrow. Because they didn't form a legacy. Their children are not believers. Their grandchildren don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. It'll only be by the grace of God if they do. We pray for them. We pray for them. We're bringing God's word to them in a different way very late in life. And we pray that God, and we know, we know God will use that in a mighty way in some way. So how can we be complacent about something that is so important? Being involved, whether that's the study of God's Word, whether that's, that's being involved in somebody's life, but how can we be complacent about something that has eternal consequences? Something so important that we're promised rewards if we are diligent in what we do. We profess to be Christians, Christ-like, but does our life look different to the world? 
we're a light in the darkness. Does it look different? Or do we look like the Corinthian church that Paul's addressing and what Todd has brought to you this morning? We worship in a church called Cornerstone. And the Cornerstone, as Todd alluded to in Isaiah 28, it talks about that stone being that level, plumb, tested stone that we can build our life off of that's perfect. We need to build a strong foundation. Not for a time. It's not a project. It's not meant to meet man's expectations. We bump our heads on that all the time, that we're trying to accomplish something to meet man's expectations, not God's. It's to further his kingdom, the kingdom that we have a full inheritance in. You know, I'm going to retire in about a year, and and I've told Todd and I've told others and I've asked them to pray for me. I'm going to retire from a career, but I want to go from career of success to significance. I don't want busyness in my life. I meet with a lot of young men. I meet with a lot of men in the morning. I enjoy that. You know why I can invest in their life. I don't understand half of what they do. It's a different culture. But you know what? Jesus Christ is the same. Jesus Christ is the same. It takes works, diligence to move from drinking the milk of the gospel message of good news to the meat of his word that strengthens us. And we need that strength. Not only to withstand the world, but to be able to invest in others. We need that. We, we worship in a wonderful church where the meat is delivered on a day-by-day basis. Whether here on Sunday at EBC or at Bible studies like we have at our house on Monday night where I see people growing. That's the blessing, is watching people grow in the Lord. It brings us to maturity. It prepares us for His good work. That is His plan in our life. Maturity to do a good work, His work. That is His plan in our life. Make no mistake about it, folks. That is His plan. Don't thwart His plan. We will stand before Him. You know what He's going to ask us? What did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with it? Every one of you here that knows the Lord Jesus Christ will be held accountable for what you do with what He gives you. He gave us everything we need. He gave us a perfect example. His Word, an indwelling Spirit, His promise of reward. Do we need more? Do we need any more than that? 